the bleak midwinter all creation groans for a world in darkness frozen like a stone light is breaking in a stable for a throne and This baby born for sacrifice, Christ the Messiah. Into our hopes, into our fears, the Savior of the world appears, the promise of eternal years. Christ the Messiah, and He shall reign forevermore, forevermore. serve a Lord and Savior who shall reign forevermore on the throne of David, and we, uh, we just are excited about that as we continue to celebrate Advent this morning. We do invite you to stand and uh, find someone to shake a hand with or give an elbow bump or fist bump to, and uh, yeah, go ahead and greet each other.
Okay, and as we have been doing for the past three weeks, we're going to continue with our Advent wreath with our candles. And this week's reading comes from John 3, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We're going to continue worshiping through song, and we invite you to join us as we sing.
Kids all the way up to fifth grade this week can head on over for Children's Church. Head on over by Aaron and Sam over there. Hi, guys. Hello, friends. Hi. Hi. <laughs> What's up? Are you guys excited? It's Christmas break. Yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> yeah, see, not a high. That, that, that's not exciting, but Christmas break is, right? Yeah. All right, well, let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to worship you. Thank you, uh, Lord, for my friends here, for um, us as brothers and sisters in this room. God, I want to pray specifically, though, this morning for our kids as they go to learn more about you. God, that they wouldn't Continue to grow in your love and in your, that unearned favor uh, that you give to us in Jesus, that we've just sung about the light of the world. So Lord, uh, encourage their hearts, strengthen them in their faith as much as we ask you to strengthen our faith as well. And Lord, just continue to bless them with your presence and your continued kindness to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, see you everybody. This morning, uh, as we transition, we have an opportunity. We support Luke Kerrig and his wife, Kelsey, and their family in Greystones, Ireland. We partner with them in their work uh, to share the good news and share God's kingdom in that community. So we are blessed to have a three-and-a-half-ish minute video of Luke coming to us, not live, but almost live, 
uh, from Ireland. So enjoy. Well, grace and peace to you, heart of a community from Greystones, Ireland. We miss you. We think of you often. And we're so encouraged by our continued partnership in ministry. And thank you for the opportunity to share a brief update with you about what's been going on. You know, as a family, we've had some, some uh, significant changes. We've moved from our little apartment into a new townhouse. So if you want to get our address and send us a letter, we'd love to hear from you. Chat with your missions coordinator about getting our new address from us. Cohen, our five-year-old, started big school and he absolutely loves it and has loads of new friends and is thriving and doing really well. Ida, too, our three-year-old, is as wonderful and as wild as ever. And she, too, started preschool and is really excited about that. But perhaps the biggest change for our family has been the welcoming of baby Reese. Reese Frederick uh, Carrick, born October 3rd, weighing seven pounds and six ounces. We are thankful for this wonderful gift in Reese, and Kelsey and Reese are doing really, really well. And finally, as a family, we're beginning to feel a degree of settled here. We're coming up on one year now. And we're finally finding uh, rhythms to, to life and to ministry. And a lot has changed for ministry too. You may remember that when we first uh, desired to come to Ireland, our task was twofold. It was house church planting and, and pastoring a local church here. And well, house church planting hasn't really gotten off the ground because of COVID. And uh, nobody really wants to go into anybody else's house anymore. And so we sort of put on hold the house church planting endeavor, but we've thrown ourselves into pastoring the local Nazarene community church here. And it's been an absolute blessing to serve this fellowship and encourage them. You know, we were a small church to begin with, but when COVID happened, it sort of felt like we got a little smaller. But we're slowly starting to rebuild. And as a church, over the past few weeks, we've been exploring uh, Jesus' letters to the churches in Revelation and to the church in Sardis. Jesus says, strengthen what remains. And I really feel like that is our task here among this community, is to strengthen and encourage and build up people's faith and hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's happening. We are engaging in worship and in, in word and in, in ministry with a new vibrancy and excitement. We've welcomed two new staff members, one of which is a missionary from California who's, who's partnering with us through uh, Evangelical Friends Mission. Uh, and, and they're going to work on staff. And we are building new ministry and new vision uh, with the hopes of repurposing our building to be more of a community resource, to be engaged with the community in ways that we never have. And it's really exciting and it's vibrant and I hope that you guys can come and participate and share with this. Maybe talk to your missions coordinator. There might be some rumblings of some trip our way. I mean, who doesn't want to come to Ireland and hang out with us for a while? We'd love to see it. Um, but our work here is just getting off the ground. It's not spectacular. It's not out of this world. It's just ordinary kingdom work. Walking alongside ordinary believers trying to proclaim and word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ and drawing other people into that want to continue to hear more about what we are doing in a more detailed way or to partner with us through prayer or finances or just mutual encouragement you can find out all our information at, at resonateglobalmissions.org or reach out to one of your local um, missions coordinator and we'll be sure to pass you in the right direction for information friends we love you we miss you we pray that god blesses you All right, so blessings from Luke Carrick. 
We invite you to stand with us. Um, we're going to sing one more song as we prepare our hearts and minds to receive the message. We've been walking our way through the genealogy in the book of Matthew, and we've been seeing the different lives that God has used to bring about the coming of the Messiah. And we see the broken lives that were used, the lives that wouldn't be expected in a genealogy of a king. But that's who we are, and that's who they were. And uh, we sing this song reassuring ourselves of the grace that comes to us through Jesus.
may be seated. Let's pray together. God, help us to see how you see us. As we think about what we've just sung, we are broken vessels. We were created in your image and God, and yet this, this thing called sin and, and death came into the world. Satan ripped us away from you. Lord, at times we're certainly uh, responsible for that, for our own separation. But so often, God, it's something that happens to us and, and that, that sin infected our lives. And, and Lord, that's just part of humanity's story. But the beauty of what we're going to hear in the gospel this morning is that you don't let that story win. You've got a better story because you've created us and loved us and you don't want to leave us as broken vessels. You see us with love. And we can see that when we look to Jesus. God, so thank you, but help us. Help us to see ourselves how you see us. Lord, as I think about sin and especially death, God, this is a, a season of life where so often we feel like we need to be celebrating, but God, we know in our Hardawake family here across campus, there's been death in families. We think about the Dembleiker family, the Gortz, the Plagamars, the Walschmitz, God, the, the Hengst family, the Skydamus. These are just some of the families over the last couple weeks who have lost family, loved ones, friends, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins. What a horrible season to lose friends. Lord, I think about a friend this morning, mourning his loss yesterday. God, and yet in the midst of our mourning and our weeping, you don't leave us there. You give us hope. You give us a future. You give us eternity. You give us a promise that death doesn't win. Death wasn't part of your plan, but you won't let it win. You've raised us. As much as we close our eyes to this earth, you raise us to life into your glory. The next moment we awake, we're with you. Thank you that we have that hope in you. But as much as that's holy and wonderful, it's also incredibly hard, this side of glory. So Lord, continue to meet us and meet our brothers and sisters in the pains we experience. Lord, there's also just those shades of death that, that exist around our tables and in our families and the judgments cast upon one another, the the, the Say uneven yokes, Lord, the, 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 the rules we put on one another, the conducts we expect out of one another that say, if, if you want to be around me, then this is how you should be. Lord, the load we put on one another, the way that we, we divide and separate on things that are not you. God, there, there are those little deaths that continue to be. The way that we look at each other, the grudges we hold, God, if we're reminded again, we're broken vessels in need of your love and your light to come. 
So come, Lord Jesus, be that light of the world that we sing of. Show your love in us, to us, and through us. Continue to shine bright in the darkness. And God, thank you that you promise to continue to shine bright, even in the midst of the dark. God, speak to us through your word this morning. Encourage our hearts. Remind us again of the good news and who Jesus is and who we are in him. Lord, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the gift of community and the opportunity we have to see each other, to smile, to shake each other's hands, fist bump, share a coffee, a word of encouragement. God, thank you that we can worship you. God, we love you, we praise you, and we honor you this morning in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Before we dive into the message, uh, as you were walking in, um, you got to see Aldea's here. We've gotten a partner with Aldea. If you're drinking coffee right now that you didn't bring from home, yeah, uh-huh. No, we, we, we partner with Aldea in our mission in Honduras, uh, in La Union. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't have very good Spanish, so some, some may have to correct me, that's okay. But uh, they partner with farmers, uh, just continue to, to show love, to create more sustainable economics and businesses and life there. And so it's a privilege to partner with Aldea, uh, to have them as they serve us, as they serve them. So pick up a pound of coffee, pick up two, there's a deal. So I still saw many, many, I, I don't have that much money, okay, and I can't drink that much coffee. I can drink a lot, but seriously. So help support them. Um, there's my plug and my push, okay? Uh, next week, though, Christmas, we are the Sunday before Christmas. Uh, next week, we have three services throughout the weekend, not, just on, not on Sunday, but throughout the weekend. We have our Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock. All of our worships will be in the sanctuary in the red brick. Uh, JB and Sarah will be leading us uh, that evening. Then Bill will be leading us and Jane and uh, more orchestral pieces uh, Saturday morning, Christmas morning at 10 o'clock. And then if Matt's flight comes in on time, Christmas morning, <laughs> we'll, Matt and I will be leading on, Chris, on Sunday morning. So um, otherwise, Courtney, you've got this. So... <laughs> But uh, no, join us uh, for one of the services, all of the services um, via live stream, however, uh, to celebrate Christ's birth over Christmas weekend. And we also pray that you just enjoy time with your family, with your friends, um, as we celebrate Christ's birth together. So speaking of Christ's birth, we're continuing in our series uh, this morning, the genealogy, this genealogy of hope. Right, a genealogy where we've looked at a passage of Scripture, Matthew 1, 1 to 17, that um, if we're probably honest with each other, we either skip altogether because we don't want to pronounce all the names, or we really fly through and go, I don't know why this is here. Amen? Right? Why is this list of names here? Hopefully over these weeks you've started to see if you've been following along that Matthew puts these names here for a reason. That in it, we see not only this story of Jesus, but we see throughout these names and this story that God is a God who fulfills promises, right? The first week, that's what we talked about. 
that God has promised to send his Messiah, his anointed and appointed one, into the world, and he fulfilled that promise through this line. Not only did God send this promised one, but he did it at just the right time. That moment in history was a specific moment, and God continues to show up in our moments, right? That's, that's hope for us. Not only that God fulfills his promises, but he comes at just the right time when we need him and when the world needs him. And then last week we talked about how this genealogy was one for the outsider, right? Because in fact, to God, none of us are outsiders. We're only people that God loves and wants to restore back into relationship with him. Today, we're going to talk about how this line, and we'll see if we actually dive into the stories of most of these people, uh, it's a little like airing out the family dirty laundry. Yay! Right, as I was thinking about that, I uh, ran across this little, couple little clips from The Simpsons. How many of you, I won't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> But you got Principal Skinner first uh, saying this, you know, you're being, you're being swept under the rug for the superintendent's visit, right? So he takes Bart and a, a few of the riffraff and uh, sticks them in a closet. Then you got Mr. Burns and Smithers and Smithers, I rounded up our less gifted employees and led them into the basement, right? How often with our dirty laundry are we trying to hide it, right? We're trying to push it aside. We don't want people to see the junk, the mess, the riffraff, right? And yet Matthew, for some reason, doesn't write a genealogy that way. Most of the time people would, would write a genealogy in their, in their day to show pedigree, right? To prop ourselves up. I wouldn't show, I wouldn't share the mess, the dirty laundry. I wouldn't air it out. Well, there's another thing that happens, though, with airing dirty laundry. We see this a lot in our culture. You don't have to go far. I mean, it happens with The Simpsons. Sometimes I watch The Simpsons to feel better about myself. Amen, right? <laughs> I'm not Homer. Now, don't ask Kendra later if I'm Homer or not. I'm saying to you, I'm not Homer Simpson, right? <laughs> right, we, we, we look at, we will sometimes exploit dirty laundry, won't we? We have Netflix shows that are created to air people's dirty laundry. We like to throw all over media outlets people's dirty laundry, right? We like to entertain ourselves with dirty laundry. Why? So that somehow we can feel encouraged? Or does that encouragement actually mean judgment? At least I'm not them. Well, is that what Matthew's doing this morning? Is he just airing dirty family laundry for our joy and entertainment? Is he airing dirty laundry? You know, is he trying to hide it? No. He's trying to be honest about it to tell us something about Jesus, and in telling us something about Jesus, telling us something about who we are in him. So let's go back to this genealogy again this morning. And I'm going to read through it, and we're going to look at just a couple snippets of what I'm talking about with the, the family of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers. I want to pause there. Because we celebrate, and last week we talked about Abraham as the father of nations, the exalted father of a nation. But if we actually read Abraham's story, and Isaac's story, and Jacob's story, and Judah's story, 
what we'll find is Abraham's not always the most stand-up guy. He'll uh, call his wife his sister and hand her over to a king to kind of save their skin. This is my sister. Now, it's possible in their day she may have been related, but, you know, why not lie to save ourselves? Right? And then I don't have a problem putting my wife in a precarious situation in order to save myself. Or how about Isaac? Isaac, poor kid. He's got to deal with a dad who, you know, in order to honor God, put a, put a knife to his throat. Deal with that for the rest of your life. Thank God that God came in and rescued and gave him a different lamb, but he's got to deal with that. But then he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and he plays favorites. Is that a wise? Let me ask parents. You know what? Let me ask kids. Is it good when your parents play favorites? How's that make you feel? Right? Parents, does that go well for you? Yeah, no, not so much. Jacob. Jacob's known as the deceiver who at one point in time gets deceived. Right? Great family line. Judah. Judah sells his brother off into slavery and if it wasn't for his other brother, would have had him killed. And Judah's story gets a little worse. All we got to do is read the next line. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And folks, this gets to be NC-17, the story of Tamar. Judah has three sons. The oldest son is so wicked, whose wife was Tamar. The oldest son was so wicked, God smites him, strikes him dead. Like, how do you like that? Husband, so, such a wonderful character that God has to wipe you off the face of the earth. Well, the second son then has to take Tamar into his family because that's what you do in those days to keep the family line going. But here's the deal. He didn't want to have give Tamar a son because that son wouldn't have been his, then that son would have gotten his stuff and his brother's stuff. So it gets all messy. So it, it, it gets, you can read that in Genesis 38. I'm not going to go further. But God gets really mad at that son and smite, smites him, strikes him dead. <laughs> Judah says, why don't you stay with the family, Tamar? Because then my youngest son will grow up and I'll give you to him and then he can continue the line of the oldest and yet at, for some reason he never gives the son and Tamar to be wed. Never, never makes it happen. And Tamar is put into this precarious situation. What am I to do? And for some reason she really has this sense of I'm supposed to continue this line. This family line. And so Judah loses his wife goes to the, the, the nearest temple prostitute to console himself. But Tamar finds out about this and somehow disguises herself to be that prostitute. Uh-oh, I don't need to fill in the blanks, do I? And she gives birth to two sons. Thankfully, she was smart enough to get something from Judah in, in, in this pledge that takes place, Judah tries to go get it back, can't find it, that it was her, but then hears that his, this daughter-in-law has been fooling around and is now pregnant, and he wants to now kill her because that's what the law says you should do, not kill himself because, you know, somehow what he did was okay. And what does she do? Oh, are these yours? <gasps> Could you imagine the face of Judah in this moment? Like, folks, this is in the Bible. This is in the genealogy of Jesus. Tamar put into situations she never should have been in. Also making decisions she never should have made. Judah never doing the right thing. Sons, I mean, this, it's, it's a mess. 
The story continues with some people that we don't know the rest of their story. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezra, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nishan, Nishan, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab, if we hear the story of the Israelites leaving exile, like leaving their, or, or uh, not leaving exile, but leaving Egypt. Uh, as they leave Egypt, they come to Jericho, and who hides the spies in Jericho but Rahab? And what's Rahab's profession? She's a prostitute. And the story goes on, though, that as a prostitute in Jericho, she was more faithful than the spies in the land. And now she's recorded as part of the line of Jesus. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We talked about the Moabites last week. Go back and watch that if you don't remember. Moabites have a whole line in of themselves. Obed, then the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David, right? He's the promised one the Messiah is supposed to come in. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I've been saying throughout as we've read this, Bathsheba. But if we read David and Bathsheba's story, David in the time when kings go to war didn't go to war. Instead goes out and sees Bathsheba bathing on a rooftop and calls for her and sleeps with her. Another man's wife, Uriah's wife. But to make matters worse, in, in sleeping with Uriah's wife, he, he tries to, in finding out that she's pregnant, right? Because, folks, that's what happens. FYI. He has Uriah come back in. Right? And he, he ends up, in long story short, sending Uriah to the front lines. And what happens in the front lines usually in war? You die. So he didn't murder Uriah. Did he? Certainly was responsible for it. Their son dies, but they give birth to another, and it was Solomon. Solomon, a great king, king full of wisdom, and yet wasn't wise enough to realize that when you marry all of these foreign women, many, many women, something up to a hundred women, right, who worship other gods, that you might actually be dragged into worshiping other gods, which he did. So much wisdom, and yet... Who did he honor? Who did he praise? Now his son was Rehoboam. Rehoboam's responsible for the division of the Israelite community. Twelve tribes divide into ten and two. He gets two. So wow. Why? Because he's, he felt like his father, if my father was hard on you, I'm going to be even harder. That's a great way to lead. Right? The story continues. Then the father, he's the father of Abijah and Father of Asa, these are kings of Judah. Asa is the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. And Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers till the time exiled to Babylon. In these list of kings, there are kings who did pretty well in the eyes of God and yet still had failings of pride. Anybody ever deal with that? Not tearing down the idols while they honored God, still left up idols to other gods. 
And then you have people like Ahaz and Manasseh who, who didn't honor God at all, actually, but sacrificed their own children to other gods. Wow, class act. What a story. It got so bad that God had to say, the land, not just, not, not just you all need a break from yourselves, but this land needs a break from you. For 70 years, you need to go into exile into Babylon. And, the, and for Israel, the kingly line seems to be dead after this point. Because the rest of the names are now just governors and priests. Right? We have after the exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud. And Abihud was the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, and Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matthan, and Matthan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. And even the story of Mary and Joseph, as we'll hear in just a moment, was shrouded in intrigue, not just intrigue, but the perception of sin. And what do we hear? There are 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, 14 from the exile to this Messiah. So is Matthew really trying to, you know, you might be asking this one, Aaron, really, I mean, whew, you made it through all the names. But is this what he's really trying to say, right? Is he really Aaron dirty laundry out? Is he really, I mean, why? Why would, why are all these stories, why is all this nitty gritty, some of this mess? Why would he pick these people? Yeah, absolutely this is what he's trying to say. Part of how we know this is because we can look at his own story. Matthew, in writing this gospel to the Jewish people, shares his story. It's in Matthew 9. We hear this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Right? He's telling this story sort of in third person now. He's not going, yep, that's me. But he's saying, yeah, there's a guy named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Right? A rabbi would invite a tax collector to share life with him follow in his footsteps, to learn from him, to be with him. This is a radical call. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat and ate with him and his disciples. Now, when the Pharisees, right, those who were good, and as we heard a couple weeks ago, they, they were committed to the standard. They were devoted to God. We honor that, man. That's a great thing, but their devotion often was more to a standard than it was to the people and rescuing the people that God loves. That standard was there to bring people back into relationship. But when they saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Matthew recalls Jesus saying this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy. Loving kindness is another way we could say that word. Compassion would be another 
right? To understand that, that if we're all in that place as tax collectors and sinners, if we all understand our story, we're people who are bound, who are held by something greater than ourselves that we can't get ourselves out of. Jesus is saying, this is what I desire. Mercy, not sacrifice. Because sacrifice can't do anything to change a life, but mercy can. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Right? Our righteousness isn't in what we can do, what I can accomplish, but it comes as a gift by Jesus. Well, support this a little bit more. Let's go to the next few verses in chapter 1. That, yeah, he's saying something. We hear this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, right, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Once you got engaged, basically, in Jewish culture, you were married. Now, there wasn't a physical union yet, but it is the equivalent of being married. So when it says that Joseph thought, well, as a law, a good righteous man, he was, he was going to find a way to divorce her. That's what's going on, right? They hadn't come together. They haven't physically come together. So again, the shroud that kind of hangs over, right? How is Mary pregnant? This, this doesn't add up. Well, what do we hear? Right, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Right? Matthew is certainly telling a story through his genealogy. And it's a story not only of a promised one, the appointed one, the anointed one, the Messiah. But it's the story of Jesus. Jesus' very name, Yeshua, means Yahweh saves. God comes to the rescue. To save sozo means this. It means that God is going to rescue us from an imminent danger, right? The inevitable. How many of you know death is inevitable, right? It is. God comes to save us from the inevitable. How about the sins of the father that last to the third and fourth generation? Sometimes that becomes a little inevitable in our lives, doesn't it? The sin patterns we grow up around, the decisions we watch, we end up modeling somehow. How many of us need to be rescued from sometimes that inevitability? Sozo, to save, also means to rescue, to free us from an impurity. How many of you have made those kinds of decisions? <laughs> right? Our mistakes, our, our missteps, our failures. Think about the line in the genealogy of Jesus. Think about the grandiose sins, and yet even some of the best kings faltered in their pride. They needed to be saved as much as Ahaz, who sacrificed his children, needed to be saved. Sozo 
to save, also means to keep, to hold, to preserve. How many of you need help making it in this world? Amen? Jesus, Yeshua, saved. Right? When we look through the story of ge- the genealogy of Jesus, when we look at his family history, we see humanity, don't we? We see our own lives reflected back to us. We hear our own stories, our own histories. Right? As much throughout this series, I've said, be mindful of your history. There's a reality today that we can also be saved and redeemed from our history. That our history doesn't determine nor define us. That as much as this is a new beginning, a Genesis story of Jesus where he came from, it's also a new beginning for us. That if Jesus can step into their stories, into that family history, amen, right? If he could step into the Simpsons times 10, he can certainly step into my story and my history. As Matthew writes to Jewish Hebrew people, letter to the Hebrews does the same. And it reminds us of this. Chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, and bringing many sons and daughters to glory, because that's God's mission, to bring his children to glory, into relationship again with him. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, that's our purpose in life. We were created for God, by God, to enjoy God. That's his gift to us. But in bringing us back to that glory, God should make the pioneer of our salvation, the author of our salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Right? Jesus' mission was to live into his namesake, the God who saves. It goes on to say, but the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy, right? We don't make ourselves pure. We don't make ourselves holy. We're only made holy by the one who makes us that way, right? That's part of his salvation, to preserve us, to keep us, right? We're of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed. God is not ashamed of you this morning, want us to understand that when we can look back at our history, when we look back at our regrets, when we look back at our mistakes and our missteps, when we look back at this last week or even this morning, the reality is God isn't just fuming, waiting to pound us with a two-by-four. He welcomes us back into his arms and says, I forgive you and I'm not ashamed of you. We know that in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to continue to say this. Not only is Jesus not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praise. And Jesus lives to say, he's celebrate us amidst the world. He's proud of us. He's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of you and he's proud of you. Even in the midst of our mistakes, our missteps and our sin. He says again, I will put my trust in him. That God will continue to entrust his kingdom to us. Again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Right? This is Christmas. This is the incarnation. He shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery 
by their fear of death. Yeshua saves. Right? Yahweh saves. He breaks us free from the power that has held us, from the regrets, for what has felt like sometimes, for some reason, a screwed up destiny, for stories that seem like they have no hopeful ending. Jesus came in flesh and blood to live the life that we could not live, to give a gift we could not earn, so that you and I can be returned to him and to our God and into his love. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. We've talked about that throughout this series. We're part of Abraham's seed. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make the atonement for the sins of his people, that he would carry our sin away from us so that we are no longer defined by it. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, this is good news for us. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Our hope this morning and in this genealogy all along not only has been that God does what God does and we can trust him, he's, he's the one that we can lean on and rely on, but he is the one who saves us. He is the one who brings the broken to life. We can sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me because we understand where we come from. We understand we're not afraid of our stories. We're not afraid of our history. We're not afraid of, uh, of, of what others may even think of us. We're not afraid because Christ has come and said, you're the apple of my eye. Because I've given my life for you. I'm not ashamed of you. You may be even ashamed of yourself, but I'm not ashamed of you. And it's in that grace, in that transformation, in the laying down of his life that you and I have life. He did it first by becoming one of us, by becoming part of our story. And he can't save what he's not a part of. So he took on that whole line of David, of Abraham. He took on the line of Vanderveen <laughs> and every other story in this room. He took on every story of every person you engage at work and in your family, your neighborhood, to save. That's the good news for us. It continues to be the good news that we preach and proclaim. It's the good news that we live in, we're anchored in. It's the good news that continues to give us hope a future, and also a today. So may that grace, may that love, may that sacrifice be life for you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have taken on our story. That our history, our family line, our mistakes, our missteps don't determine us. They don't have to define us. Lord, that you even take hopeless stories, stories we can't make sense of. Ahaz, what a miserable, horrible king. 
He shut up the temple and said, nobody gets to worship God, created more places to worship more other gods, sacrifices his own children, and yet somehow you redeem that story by being part of it. If you can do that, or we don't know the ending of it, we don't know what you're doing in that, but if you can do that for that line, for that story, God, there is not a person that is too far gone for you. There is not a story too screwed up for you to redeem, to rescue. Lord, for we're a people who don't even have to fear death because we know in the face of death, you promise new life. God, that promise remains anchored in the person of Jesus who took on flesh and blood, who became one of us, it's God with skin on, who continues to be God with skin on, ruling the world. Lord, again, help us to see him. Help us to lean on you because, God, you say, because we're tempted, you were tempted in every way, you can help us. God, that's good news. You can help us. Help us in the ways we need you to help us in this valley of the shadow of death, where death looms, where it casts sometimes a dark shadow. Again, God, show your light in your life. Thank you for not leaving us alone, for saying that death nor height nor life, angels nor demons, nothing can separate us from your love. In Christ Jesus, we pray this in the wonderful name of him, Jesus. And all God's children say, invite you to stand and join us as we sing one more song.
who saves. You're never too far gone. You've never been too far gone. It's not a story he can't redeem. He can't take back. There's not an ending. He can't somehow change by his grace, by his love, because he's Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. See this blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and all God's children said, amen. amen. Go in peace. And if you don't mind stacking a couple chairs, we'd appreciate it and maybe pick up some coffee.